It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. Hey, this is Doug here. Today I've got a, uh, a little different approach for us. We're going to listen to a message I presented a number of years ago, uh, not ancient, but wasn't done yesterday, on friendship, friendship factor. I, I felt, and some of my friends are working with me at the show, they said, hey, Doug, you got to do that. you got to do that message. So today, I hope you'll enjoy listening about how to increase the friendship factor in your life. God bless you as you listen. Romans 14, and let's start with dealing with difficult people, uh, talking about the friendship factor. Let's begin with a little intro, just a minor review, after we've read the 14th chapter of the book of Romans. Yes, I'm going to read the whole chapter, in fact, part of the next, and I'll read it quickly enough that it will maintain our interest. Verse 1, says, Except those, or except him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One's, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, uh, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks to the Lord, and he who abstains does so to the Lord, and gives thanks to the Lord. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died, and returned to life, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living." You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. You do not by your eating destroy your brother. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. And do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because everyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that would cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. 
But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's a great section of scripture, isn't it? I think one of the realities that Paul is concluding this great book with, that we're going to discuss for about ten minutes and then be dismissed tonight, is that the, the church of Jesus Christ and therefore the kingdom of God is built relationally. That really the way God builds a church is through friendship. And as I said the first night we started this series, and, and we had about, since then about, uh, on Easter we had nearly 200 people meet Christ here. And we had at the Billy Graham Crusade 8,827 people met Jesus Christ in just those four nights. And, and I told our staff today, I said, the, the fact you don't ever want to forget is this. That about 9.9 out of 10 people who came forward and received Christ or acknowledged Christ in our services that were not bought by a friend who has strong faith themselves and is grounded in the church, 9.9% of those who do not have a friend that brought them will not make it in the Lord. But conversely, nearly everyone who is introduced to Christ in, and into church life by a personal friend will be around in five to ten years. Friendship is the basis upon which Christ builds his kingdom. That's the way he started his ministry and mission was with twelve friends. And it's the way he builds our church. This church is really the composite of multiple networks of friendships and relationships that happens here. We have a number of expressions of our church life that is designed to facilitate that. And I use the word facilitate because that's the best we can do. We can't make friends for you. We can facilitate opportunities that you may find fellowship. And you might have to, for example, go to seven home meetings before you find one that clicks for you. Or you might go to eight classes on Sunday Nightline or go to ten parenting classes or whatever you do or work in the children's ministry for two years or a year before you make a good friend. A good friend takes three years to make. The tragedy of our time is we've lost touch with the importance of friendship in our lives and the network of friends. And in my research, I found that it's one of the major causes of mental breakdown in America, is the disenfranchisement that people feel. Now, we have a large celebration service on Sunday, and that is vital. In our celebration service, you can come with, you know, well over 3,000 people, adults, on a weekend, and you can encounter Christ, and two things will happen for certain. Your faith will grow. And God's, the vision of God in your life will increase and you'll grow in the knowledge of the word. But one thing you won't have addressed in your life is your need to have friends. You can experience celebration, your faith can grow and still be totally lonely. Now tonight, you might be able to engage in a friend once in a while and interact enough that there will be some connect. But on, along the way, you're going to have to build a network in your life if you don't have one already that involves no more than, say, 
10 to 20 people. It is a fact that few people can really know any more than about 10 to 20 people very well. You can really only know a few significant facts of about 40 people. And you can only remember the names as many as, say, 70 or 5 or 80. And you can only recognize the faces of up to 250 people. And so most of us are blitzed sociologically all of the time. <laughs> and the pace and the speed that we go. And we've lost touch with Grandma and Grandpa who were at one time and have been designed by God, I believe, to be great anchors in all of our lives. And those are essential networks that a lot of us lose. Some corporations in, in our, and some of you in our, in our congregation right here are in corporations that part of their strategy is to move you every two years to three years for this singular reason that you will have no greater loyalty than their company. They know by moving you, you won't build roots enough that you can get... Uh, 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 tapped into by another corporation or be so rooted in your family that you won't give extreme amounts of time and excessive amounts of effort to your company. It is a deliberate strategy. I know. I've talked to the men who participate in designing those strategies. And the fallout is horrendous. From the research we've read that I've checked into, we've found an interesting thing that the older a person gets, the less likely it is that they'll make new friends that with each decade of our, of our aging, the chances of us having a network of friends get smaller. So, you know, I think back, I, I, it's funny, I look back now at 20s and 30s, seemed like friends were just made like that. Can you kind of remember? And, and now I realize, boy, you know, those are some really wonderful friendships I had. And, and you, you get used to the idea that you can make them, break them. But the older you get, the harder it is to build a friendship network. In fact, I've advised a couple of guys recently who were confronted with the idea of, of a move and promotion in their company. I said, you know, I've come to believe, and this wasn't to keep them in our church or in our city at all. That isn't the way I'm motivated in the least. I said, but I'll tell you one thing. For your mental and spiritual health, you'd be better off making 20000 less a year forever and having a network that is healthy for you intact. Because life is short, baby. It's real short. And we are social creatures. And Paul knew that, and he's teaching on how the church can interrelate together. Because that's how our body moves, is in relationship. And if you are not doing aggressive steps to build networks of relationship in your life, you need to do it. You need to make it a priority. There is uh, a, the story, a friend of mine who <clears throat> pastors in Spokane collects baseball cards. And he has, his father-in-law is a retired pharmacist. He left his pharmacy and, and he turned his house into kind of a flop house for kids who didn't have anywhere to go. And he put a little cot down in the basement and gave all the rooms in the house. His wife had died and he gave the whole room, every room in the house was open and, and his, there's kids' friends and friends would bring people and just drop them by the house. And this guy had a cot down by the water heater. And was a pharmacist, and, and now he, he lives in another city. And, and uh, my friend called him up and said, Hey, uh, I, he collects baseball cards. And he called him up. He was so excited because he, he got some originals, really valuable ones at a garage sale. And they didn't know what they had, and he got them really nice, ripped them off. And, uh, <laughs> and he called up his father-in-law, who is kind of a monk-type person these days. And he said, he said, man, I, you ought to see what I got in my collection. And, and on the phone, the gentleman on the other end of the phone, his father-in-law said, well, I started a collection the other day too. And he said, you did? I can't believe What are you collecting? He couldn't imagine having anything material. I mean, he has, he, when, his, when his daughter came to live with him for a few weeks, uh, he had to go buy another plate. I mean, that's how he lives. And, and he said, I can't believe that you, that you have a collection. He said, yes, God's letting me collect friends. 
<laughs> and my friend was deeply embarrassed because how do, how do baseball cards match up with friends? But there needs to be that kind of priority for it to happen. One of the things we discover, though, is that you, you can't be friends with everybody. You can love everybody, but you can't be friends with everybody. And we all know that relationships and friendships always cause stress. That's what we read in this chapter. Friendships are stressful. How many have discovered that relationships are stressful? Most of your stress here tonight, if we took a poll, most of the stress you have right now is relationally caused, either by your husband or wife, kids, friends, neighbors, fellow workers, right? Fellow uh, church people. They're, they're, they're just problem people around you, and that is where most of your stress comes from. And in fact, people who are involved in what are called the helping professions, people who work with people, have the highest stress level of anybody going. They also tend to be a little buggy after a few years. Again, we're uh, listening to a message titled The Friendship Factor, and it basically is how to have biblical friendships, which is a fabulous way to start assessing the quality of your walk. Let me tell you how you can help us with the show. Uh, It does take some resources. We have some generous people who've stepped up and helped us out with a great deal of it. But if you would like to support us, what we have is an offer uh, this month for any who can help us financially. It's called A Way Through the Wilderness, a great book by Jamie Buckingham. And the reason I've chosen this book is, one, Jamie was one of my dearest friends. And I think this is one of the finest books ever written on the Exodus Crossing. It is loaded with tremendous insights that you rarely find anywhere else. And it's a great book. I'm, I'm going to send it to you for whatever gift you can give to help us stay on the air. It's called A Way Through the Wilderness. All you have to do is you can either one of three things. You can either uh, go to our PayPal, which is Doug Murin at PayPal. Leave your address. The book will go out to you. Or you can send any size contribution to Caught on Tape or just Doug Murin to 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, W-E-N-A-T-C-H-E-E, Washington. Get this, here's the zip, 98801. 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, Washington. Send any size gift with your address. I'll get the book out to you. Or you can go to our website, which is DougMurinRadio.com. DougMurinRadio.com, and you can follow the donation section. And I'll make sure you get that book. It's a tremendous book. Not only will you help me, but I know I'm going to get to help you with this book. So God bless you. We do thank you for your support. If you would like a live radio show outreach at your church, just contact us at any of those numbers. Uh, my email is doug.murin at gmail.com. doug.murin at gmail.com. And we are starting to do some outreaches. I'm not doing a lot of them, but we are starting to do one. I hope you enjoy the show, and God bless you, and thank you for your generosity. Well, what is a friend? You might want to write this down. And I think Paul's getting at it in this chapter, the things that build strong relationships. A friend, a true friend, is someone that you can truly be yourself with. Someone who is truly your friend is someone you can be transparent with. So as you build networks in your life, you're talking about those people who can see you the way you really are and it doesn't bother you. You can tell who your friends are by those that you can really be yourself. I mean, you don't have to be spiritual, Joe. You can be you and you know you're safe. Okay? How many have got that? That's what a true friend is someone you can be transparent with. Tell them your weaknesses and your strengths. And in this chapter, and we're going to quickly glance at it, Paul 
I think, is helping us address this whole issue of how to relate together. And he's going to talk about specifically one kind of difficult person. I read a book by Robert Brunson, a PhD, uh, titled How to Get Along with Difficult People. And he outlined seven kinds of difficult people to get along with. The first kind, he says, are Sherman Tanks. These are people who need to prove themselves. When they come in a room, they shove everybody else up against the wall, more or less. The second kind of difficult person he called snipers. Snipers are these characters who have subtle innuendos and make digs at you all of the time. I have a couple friends like that. Then there are exploders. And these are people who lose control when they feel threatened and they're difficult to get along with. I don't know anybody like that. Then there's... Then there's these people here, they call the complete complainers. And these are people who find what's wrong with everything. Do you know anybody like that? Every office has a complainer. There's something wrong with everything, from the weather to the shoes being too tight to the temperature of the room. They complain about anything and everything. Come on, be honest. How many know these kind of people? The fifth kind, he said, are the silent, unresponsive types. He calls them clams. The funny thing is that most of us become one of these kinds of annoying people in different situations. Uh, in a dentist office, I'm a clam. <laughs> Another one he called the super, uh, the super, oh gosh, what's the word here? I'm going to make up a word, okay? Uh, no, the super agreeers. These are people who must have everybody like them. And they agree with everybody. Whoever they're talking to, they agree with them. They're just, they'll agree with whoever said the last thing. They don't have a clue as to who they really are themselves. And the last one is he calls the negativists. These are the absolute pessimistic people. They're a little different than the complainers. These people believe in everything is, is headed down the tubes. The Russians are coming. And the ozone is growing. And life is hard and we will soon all die. And they're the negativists. And he says these seven kinds of people all require a different kind of strategy to survive around them. And what you have to realize is everybody here is an annoying person to somebody. Everybody here is a problem person to someone. I know that's hard to imagine. I would make one exception, probably myself. But everybody here, everybody here... Everybody here is a difficult person to someone. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a difficult person to someone. I'm not sure who, but someone. You're a difficult person. In Romans 14, in Romans 14, the difficult person Paul's going to talk about are religious nitpickers. And there, there are people who want you to worship on the right day and don't want you to eat meat. And it's interesting he mentions this. I know of no more annoying people to me than vegetarians. I was one once for two months. And, and I just didn't see any sense in living that miserably. So, <clears throat> or unscripturally. So I like, I like meat. In fact, I had a, a McLean burger tonight. And it was an interesting experience. But, <laughs> you are a difficult person to everyone. Specifically, he's talking about people who are religious nitpickers that have been complaining and feel hyper-spiritual because they haven't eaten a burger this week. That's right. And they've done their aerobics. Right? They've done their aerobics and taken their vitamins. Right? And don't drink coffee. And I mean, they've got it wired, baby. And they know they're more spiritual. And frankly, there's a division coming in the church. 
And what has happened is the strong people then have, rather than patterning love, have also become annoying. And Paul is going to give them a number of ways as to how they can live together in spite of both of their difficultness. And let me first tell you how to destroy friendships because he's going to give us several of them here. Note in verse 1, he's going to give you the first key to destroying a friendship. And he says right there, when he says, except him whose faith is weak, I kind of took the negative corollary and I put down there his number one way to destroy relationships in the church is number one, to focus on people's weaknesses. That's the best thing to do, is make certain you get the magnifying glass out. It's the magnifying principle. Make certain that you get really picky unish about people's faults. And make certain you believe that everyone ought to be perfect. What we really, the positive corollary, what's he going to say? Accept him whose faith is weak. What's he mean by that? Don't pay attention to their stupidity and their weakness. Overlook it. Everybody's insane part of the time. Two, in verse four, I won't read the verse. You can read this, these them yourselves. I'll reference them. But he says, who, who are you to judge someone else? And he basically says, to, whose master, he, to his master he stands or falls. And in verse four, basically saying you can destroy friendships by trying to dominate others. His point here is, the strong people were criticizing the weak people, the difficult person, because they felt they ought to agree with them. In fact, it's a style of relating. Everyone must be conquered. And he said that will destroy relationships. And he says, remember, everyone belongs to God. The difficult person that is annoying to you, remember, you aren't their Lord. That's what he's saying. Remember, you aren't their Lord. Remember, you didn't have to save them. And remember that they aren't yours. They're his. Thirdly, I think he's talking about verses 9 through 11. When he says this, he says that, uh, Christ died uh, to return life to them. And he says, what are you, who are you to judge a brother? He says, before God they'll stand. And I wrote down on my notes, number 3, 1493, 9-11. The third way to destroy a friendship or a relationship is live this philosophy. Be, please become what I want you to be. Demand that they become what you want them to be and you'll be sure to destroy that relationship. Fourthly, and he's going to slide down a little bit further, he's going to say... Uh, the, you ought to mind your own business, basically. Verse 12 is a great phrase. Says, Each of us is going to give account of your own life. And I put down number five. The next way to destroy a relationship, relationship, or number four way to destroy a relationship, is to take responsibility for others' lives. You can destroy a relationship by crowding in and feeling utterly responsible for everything that goes on in their life. It's one of the things that happens in churches. We call it caring for one another, but really what it is is dysfunctionality. It's codependency. And you have pastors who need to have people who need them. And you have people who want to have somebody else be, that they can be dependent upon. And that's a bad deal. I'm going to tell you what I refuse to do. I'm not going to live your life for you. It's your problem. Including my children. Okay, number five. In verse 15... He's going to tell us the next way to destroy a relationship is to be insensitive. Don't be empathetic. By all means, don't be empathetic. Go ahead and be utterly insensitive. And he says it this way. He says, don't, don't regard only your, only fe- your own feelings, but, but be sensitive to theirs. Number six in verse 19. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. And I circled, and I would encourage you to do this. Circle this word here. 
It's an amazing thing. The sixth way to destroy a relationship is avoid making any effort to make sure it works. What's he say here? It's going to take a little what? Work. Make every what? Effort. Make every effort. And then he's going to, number seven, in verse 19, same verse, he's going to say, make effort to do what? To do what leads to peace. And the seventh way I wrote down to destroy the negative corollary, seventh way to destroy a relationship is to concentrate, concentrate on conflict all of the time. Now he says, what do you do? You make every effort to find your point of agreement if you're going to have a sound relationship. Eight, verse 19 also, he says, make every effort to do what is mutually what? Mutually edifying. And what in the world do you mean by that? He means do what's good for the other person. Turn to the person next to you and just, just look at him. Just don't say anything. Just look at him. Then look back up here. Just look at him. Now think about it. What could we do out of here that would be good for them before you left tonight? Maybe a greeting. Maybe an affirmation. Just say, hey, bless you in the name of Jesus. What he's saying is relationships grow when you put out effort to do what is good for the other person. If you relate only on the basis of what is good for you, you will collapse that relationship because it will be a take-only relationship which will not work. So he says, make every effort to concentrate on what you agree upon. Make every effort, period, and make every effort to do what is good for the other person and that relationship will thrive. 9, in verse 22, I like this one. Basically, he says... In verse, was oh, it a number nine? But in verse 22 and 21, 22, he says an interesting thing. I wrote down here the ninth way to destroy a relationship is always say what's on your mind. Actually, what Paul says, what? Sometimes it's a good idea to keep your what shut? Your mouth shut. In other words, he's saying the way to destroy a relationship is always say what you're thinking. Always say what you're thinking. You can wreck a good relationship. No, what? What are you saying? To make a relationship work, you have to know when to keep your mouth shut. Finally, number 10, in verse 22 as well, of chapter 14, he's, he's going to say that, that we are to accept, and actually 14.7 is the one I want. He says, accept one another. Verse 17, excuse me, 15.7. Romans 15.7. The 10th way, and I'm going to conclude reading it, working out of the Bible, and we're going to conclude with some closing comments. But he talks about the final way to destroy a relationship, which is to make sure that this relationship that you develop, must, your approval must be earned and your friendship must be earned. If people can only be your friend if they earn it, you aren't going to have very good relationships. He says here, make sure you, you accept one another just as Christ, what? Accepted you. Now come on, let's be honest. How many of you, was it a good deal when Jesus decided to be your friend? I know some of you, and it was a rotten deal, and he did it anyway. Again, we're uh, listening to a message titled The Friendship Factor, and it basically is how to have biblical friendships, which is a fabulous way to start assessing the quality of your walk. Many have asked me, how can I get this on podcasts? Go to kcisradio.com, kcisradio.com, and you'll find it under Caught on Tape with Doug Murin, and you can get it on your little podcast thing. And I hope you'll enjoy it in that form, too, and thank you for spreading the word about it. Caught on Tape with Doug Murin is a listener and friend-supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Murin is appreciated. You can write Doug Murin, Caught on Tape, at 1806 5th Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 
9801 or online at dougmurinradio.com.